One of the most impactful relationships in my life began at a kitchen table. My friendship with Bob and Lisa Gomes has been real special to me over the last few years. They're the kind of people that whenever I hang out with them, I just come away feeling recharged, like my tank is full. Y'all got friends like that? But uh, my friendship with Bob especially, I mean, it's turned into something really impactful. Uh, He's actually a mentor figure in my life. Uh, He's somebody who's taken me under his wing. He taught me a lot about organizational leadership and strategy, personal growth, how to work with difficult people, how to be less of a difficult person to work with. Uh, I mean, Bob has meant the world to me. He's somebody I go to with career decision questions, with my relationship choices. Uh, And whenever he speaks into my life, he does so with a great deal of influence, influence that he built around a lot of different conversations at a couple of kitchen tables. It didn't start like that, though. Uh, Honestly, it really just started with a simple invitation to dinner. Do you want to come over, hang out, and have dinner? I said, yes. So I find myself at Bob's house, uh, kind of taken aback. See, Bob's a CEO, and he makes bank, so his house reflects that he makes bank. And I'm standing at the front door thinking, wow, this is one of the nicest houses I've ever seen. I'm really glad I dressed up for this. And then he opens the door, and he's in, like, short bike shorts. and like, okay, I have no idea what to expect at this point. And, uh, and I go in the house with them and go through, like, big archways, like, big formal living rooms and bar areas, uh, through the formal dining room, into the kitchen. And then we really got to know each other at a little kitchen table, Right? And that has become such an impactful relationship that a little bit ago, I drove 11 hours round trip just so I could spend less than eight hours with Bob and Lisa. That's the kind of impact they've had in my life. I would spend more time in the car just to hang out with them for a little bit. And I would do that again, no questions asked. And that relationship started with just a little invitation. Have you had an invitation that changed your life? Maybe it came in the form of an acceptance letter to a college or an offer letter for a job where you knew if you took this, it would probably change the course of your life. Sometimes life-changing invitations are a little bit more subtle, though. Maybe it was an invitation to go to dinner with somebody or just grab coffee, and that was 10 years ago, and you've talked to them every day since, and now you're married. Invitations can have incredible impact. Jesus was all about invitations. Wherever he went, he was actually creating a culture of invitation. He was inviting people to get to know him, to take a closer look at religion and what they had grown up with, and then ultimately to follow God. His followers were always inviting people to say, hey, come meet Jesus. Come meet this man who changed my life. People were always inviting people to meet Jesus. He was actually even inviting other people into conversations. He was cultivating curiosity. He was asking hard questions, but he was answering hard questions. He was inviting people not just to love God and love people, he did that, but also to a greater calling, a greater purpose, a greater hope in life. Ultimately, he would invite them to follow him. Jesus was always inviting people. He even invited himself over to a guy's house one time. And that's like, Jesus can do it, but you shouldn't do it, and I shouldn't do it kind of situation. Like, if you invite yourself over to my house, I'm uncomfortable and I'm not answering the door, and I promise not to invite myself over to your house, but if Jesus does it, it's okay. It's one of those stories. So this is a story, and if it was a Friends episode, it would be called The One with a Really Short Man. All right? This is the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. So we're in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus enters Jericho, and he makes his way through the town. And there's a man there named Zacchaeus. And he was the chief tax collector in the region, 
and he had become very rich. So this dude uh, is, is hated, all right? I did my taxes this last week, and I'm still a little low-key depressed from it. Not going to lie, okay? Um, do you know any IRS agents? I don't think you do. And I bet somebody here does, but I bet they don't know they're an IRS agent because they introduce them as something vague, like, uh, oh, I work for the government. I'm in uh, asset acquisitions. I deal unhappiness to people. Like, I don't know exactly how a tax collector would introduce themselves today, but it'd be even worse back then because Zacchaeus wasn't a tax collector for his own people. He was actually a tax collector for a country that had invaded his home country. So this dude is getting rich, taking money from his countrymen and giving it to people who are oppressing them. And he got to make money by just taking whatever he wanted on top of that. So Zacchaeus has probably got a really big house, and it's probably not a happy place to live. We keep going. So Zacchaeus, he tries to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to come that way. So we know Zacchaeus is curious, all right? And we know he's curious because this dude climbs a tree. Have you ever seen a grown man climb a tree? No, because it would hurt their backs and their knees, all right? So it doesn't happen unless there's a really good reason. I also think it's funny that it's pointed out here that Zacchaeus is short, right? Like, I would make a short joke, but it would probably go over Zacchaeus' head. So I think that would be an unfair shot. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I got two eye rolls, and I appreciated them most of all. (laughs) It is interesting that it's pointed out that Zacchaeus is short. Like, if you know somebody who has been made to feel small their whole life, People who feel small try and make themselves feel bigger by lashing out and hurting other people. I'd put money on it that that had happened to Zacchaeus his entire life. He was the short dude, and the short dude decided, well, you know, at least I'm going to be rich. In fact, Zacchaeus and people like him would have oppressed Jesus and people like him. Jesus was a carpenter. His dad was a carpenter. And they'd been overtaxed by people just like Zacchaeus. And despite everything Zacchaeus has done, and despite everything that's been done to Zacchaeus, dude's still curious. And so, when Jesus comes by, he looks up at Zacchaeus, and he calls him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And again, that's bold, and Jesus does it, and I'm not saying we need to invite ourselves to people's houses. The guy actually came up to me after the first service and invited himself over to my house for board games. Uh, I like board games, so I said yes, but it's still bold. Um, But I don't think Zacchaeus would have been quite so bold to invite Jesus over because of everything he had done. But we know he was still curious. And so Jesus invites himself over, making up for what Zacchaeus couldn't do. But we know Zacchaeus was excited about it, because as we keep going, Zacchaeus quickly climbs down, and he takes Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased, right? The crowd around, they're grumbling. It says, he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Do you know the difference between Zacchaeus' sin, and the crowd's sin, and your sin, and my sin? Not much. Nada. But they didn't like him, so they made a really big deal out of it. Didn't bother Jesus. So Jesus goes to his house. And I, I'd like to imagine it was kind of like me showing up at Bob's house. Kind of like, oh, this is a really big, nice house. And Zacchaeus is showing off his toys. Like, yeah, hey, see that deluxe double hump camel? I got that at Syria. Um, hey, come look at my dining set. I bought it at Ikea. I don't know. Um, they probably had Ikea there. And maybe it's at a kitchen table. Maybe it's at a patio. Maybe it's just in the courtyard hanging out around a fire pit. But Jesus and Zacchaeus talk. And something happens when people meet Jesus. When they experience the power and the control and the passion 
and the hope and the love that only Jesus brings, something changes. So maybe it was at a kitchen table, maybe not. But at his house, something changed in Zacchaeus. We know this because he stands up and he says this. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people, and he had, on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. That is a spirit of generosity that was not there a verse ago. Right? This is a dude who has gotten rich by hurting other people, and now he's saying, hey, anyone who I have cheated, I'm not just going to fix it. I'm going to give them back four times as much. Now something changed. Something changes when people meet Jesus. So we keep going, and Jesus responds. He says, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man, that's Jesus, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. And he did it. And he still does it through invitations. All right? Now, I don't know what happened with the rest of Zacchaeus' story. But I know when somebody really meets Jesus, they change. And then they start to change the world around them. And so, I like to imagine, educated guess, that Zacchaeus actually became someone who invited others to meet Jesus. Maybe it was just through conversations like, hey, let me tell you about this guy that changed my life. I mean, come on, somebody doesn't go from this person who's just taxing and oppressing people to someone who is generous without people noticing. I don't know the rest of Zacchaeus' story, but I do know the story of some friends of mine in this room right now that I'm like, I'm scanning, but I'm like specifically thinking of some people that are in this room right now, and I've seen what happens when Jesus changes their life, and I've seen how they went from somebody who was curious about Jesus to someone who was inviting others to meet him too. Jesus was using his invitations and his followers' invitations to build relationships and then use those relationships to invite people to meet Jesus, right? I'm not real creative. My encouragement for us this morning is we keep the same trend going, that we would invite others to meet Jesus, all right? Invite others to meet Jesus. And here's why. It's because we are a people who are desperate for hope. I don't know what your week was like, all right? Well, in this last week, I had a lot of really weird, uncomfortable conversations that I didn't want to be a part of, but I think I was supposed to be a part of. I had some meetings that, actually, I didn't have any meetings that could have been an email. That's nice. But there's still some meetings that, you know, I would have maybe skipped it if I could because I didn't really feel like working in that exact moment. I had moments in relationships and friendships where I intentionally put forth energy even though I was running a little low. So I'm kind of coming in here this morning looking for hope. Hope is an expectation for a better future, and I want that. I had an awesome week. Like, I really had a great week, and yet I'm still looking for a better future. I'm still looking for hope. I've had some weeks that weren't so great. So have you. I've had some years that weren't so great. So have you. We are a people who are desperate for hope, for an expectation for a better future. And nobody brings hope better than Jesus does. Now, maybe you have somebody in your mind right now, all right? Or maybe you're thinking, Reed, are you really saying that I should go and talk to somebody I don't know about something as private and personal as their faith? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. If you see somebody and you just have this constant thought in your mind and in your heart that you're supposed to talk to them about faith, then yeah, do it. And most of the time, when we invite people to meet Jesus, 
It comes through relationships that we already have or we intentionally create. All right? So maybe that's friends, family members, coworkers, people you play sports with. I play volleyball. Maybe it's the people I play volleyball with. Maybe it's your people you game with every night. Maybe it's the person you see at Kroger every time. I don't know. But whatever the relationships in your life that are already there or are partly there, somebody come to your mind right now? If so, I'm going to say that's God because I've not mentioned anyone specifically. Sometimes it's relationships we already have. And what I want to do is not just sit up here and say, like, and you have to invite somebody and then say the same thing over and over again. What I want to do is I want to just give five tips on how to have that conversation. Just five tips on how to invite someone to meet Jesus. Here's the first one. Just bring your faith into normal conversations. Right? Just bring your faith into normal conversations. Uh, sometimes we have this misconception in our mind that like, we have to make a conversation really weird or important or spiritual before we can bring faith into it. That's just not the case. Like when you choose to follow Jesus, faith becomes a normal part of your life. So just let it be a normal part of your conversations. I was getting a haircut this last week, uh, Thursday. I went to a barbershop downtown, guy cutting my hair, his name's Rel. And we just start talking. He goes, hey, you have any plans for this weekend? It's like, yeah, I do. Um, I'm going to do a date or something on Friday night. On Saturday morning, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to watch Manchester United lose. I'm going to get depressed because they lost. By the way, I woke up, I watched them, they lost, and I'm still depressed. Um, I'm going to do that. I don't know what I'm going to do in the afternoon. Um, and then on Sunday morning, I'm going to go to church. Hey, do you want to come to church with me? I don't know if we're else here or not. But I got to talk about faith and kind of him and his wife and how they raised their kids. And I'm really hopeful that either he's here today or he's coming for Easter next week. Just bring your faith into normal conversations. All right? Another way that we can invite people to meet Jesus is by being experts, by not in anything except our own lives, but just know your 30 second story, right? Like you are the expert in your life, okay? It would be incredibly creepy and weird if I knew more about your life than you did. Like you know your life and your story way better than I do. And that means you have a 30 second story. You may not know it, but you do have a 30 second story. Here's mine. Without Jesus, I am somebody who is dominated by selfishness, lust, and pride, and you really don't want to get to know that guy. And because of Jesus, I have hope and a purpose and a reason to get up every morning. That's my 30-second story. That's it. We also have five-minute stories, where it's like a little bit more, but everyone has a 30-second story. What did your life look like either before Jesus, or maybe if you started following him when you were little, then because of Jesus, actually, I'm sorry, either before Jesus or without Jesus. Like when you're not following Jesus, what does your life look like? And then with Jesus, what's the difference? 30 seconds or less. Mine was about 15 seconds right there. But know your 30-second story and then bring it into conversations. Here's the next one. Next tip. It is be intentional without being intense. All right? Be intentional without being intense. Any girl who has ever been asked out by that guy knows that there is a difference between thoughtful and creepy, okay? There is a difference between intentional and intense, all right? So here's how this means. Here's how this works out. Like, share your story. Share your faith with people, and you can do it intentionally. Find or create spaces where you can have those conversations, all right? Um, For you, maybe that's the group of moms you hang out with. Or maybe that's your buddies where you go grab drinks after work. Maybe it's some guys you game with every night. 
maybe it's a group chat that shouldn't exist but still exists, and it's mostly memes and then occasionally deep conversations. Wherever you live, wherever your circle of influence is, share your faith there. So this is my kitchen table. Like, this is the one from my house. I've gone this week without having a kitchen table in my house. This is mine. These are my chairs. I bought them on Amazon. Use read 15% off for a great discount. Links in my bio. It's going to be great kidding. Please don't do that. But you can't buy them on Amazon. This is my kitchen table. And so I've had this with me for a couple of moves. Um, bought it at Facebook Marketplace. This is where I share a lot of my life. I love to cook for people. Uh, and I love to play board games. And so I often have people over for dinner or for board games. And so at this specific table, I've gotten to share my story with people from all around the world, some who believe what I believe and some who believe very different things. But that 30-second story, I mean, I'll sit at this table and be like, hey, can I share some of my story? And most of the time people say, yeah, because they're curious, because you already have some influence with them. So wherever you have influence, whether that's a circle of friends, if that's on social media, like wherever you have influence in your life, and you have it, I promise, share your story and share your faith there. Be intentional. You already have those connections, so bring your faith into it. Here's the next one. And I promise, this is not named at any specific toddlers. Use your words. Use your words, all right? There are a few toddlers in my life I end up having conversations with, and sometimes they go like this. And that is not a particularly effective form of communication for them or us. Now, I hope you don't actually do that in conversations. If so, um, we should chat about something else. But when we're talking about our faith, we need to use our words. There's a quote. It has been falsely attributed to Francis of Assisi. Uh, Wikipedia itself doesn't know who actually said this. We just know it wasn't him. Um, And the quote goes like this. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. I actually really don't like that quote because I think it's a little unhelpful. Now, I understand why some people do, because they're like, yeah, how you live should line up with what you believe, and I get that. And we always want to not just show the what, but the why. Like, the what is a life filled with hope and grace and peace and joy in the middle of a world that is desperate for hope. And I would for us to demonstrate that and people not know why we have it. And because we didn't share why we have it, then they never get to experience it themselves. So we need to use our words. Yes, we need to live lives with integrity and hope and compassion that would make a world say, hey, I want that. And then we need to use our words to explain what that is, is why we have it, and that there's nothing special about us, but we would love for them to meet Jesus. Use your words. And then finally, expect a range of outcomes. All right? Expect a range of outcomes. Uh, I love playing fantasy football. Uh, That's something that I really enjoy. And if you don't know what fantasy football is, It's when a bunch of grown men and sometimes women sit around and eat wings and they draft real-life NFL players who don't know they exist and will never care about them and then bet money and then brag about the fact that they were better at picking these players than other people. That's a rough version of it. But uh, basically, you draft people and then you expect a range of outcomes. Um, By the way, I thought I was good at fantasy football and then I played in a league with our pastor, Adam Johnson, and I got second to last. And so this is me publicly saying he's better than me. Um, he's going to enjoy that part. I hate it. Um, but you, you expect a range of outcomes for your players. And so maybe you have somebody over here, like Cam Akers, I'm not bitter, who goes and gets hurt 
before the season starts, sits on your bench and does absolutely nothing for you. Or maybe you have Debo Samuel, somebody that you drafted much later, who does incredible and then wins you the league. And somewhere in the middle is a lot more realistic outcomes for most of the players. Hey, in our conversations about faith, we can expect a range of outcomes. It's not super likely, but you could have somebody get mad, cuss you out, and throw a punch. That's never happened to me, to be honest. It's not even come close. It's technically possible. You could say, hey, have you ever heard of Jesus? And they're like, no, but man, I want to. And they get real excited, and it's like really uncomfortable. I've also never had that happen, okay? What normally happens is something somewhere in the middle. The range of outcomes goes from polite disinterest, no, but thanks, to apathy, hey, maybe for you, but not for me, to curiosity. How is curious? Do you really believe this? And it's just a conversation that starts. Normally, expect a range of outcomes. And then when it's curious, especially feed those conversations. I've not always done this perfectly, but there's a season in my life where I think I got to experience, honestly, all five of those. Um, I found myself in a Christian bubble. I went to a school to become a pastor, so I'm surrounded by pastors. Uh, I was volunteering a lot in my church, so surrounded by Christians there. And then I was working for a guy from my church where every employee in our very small company was also from our church. And I realized I wasn't building relationships or having meaningful conversations with people who believed anything different than I did. So I quit my job and I started working as a valet. And so a little company, about 20 people, and I actually got to share the gospel with about 20 people in the company. That's why I was there. So there was some intentionality to it. And in those 20 people, uh, I had a couple who, on our range of outcomes, like they, they mocked me, like, Reed, you're supposed to be this really smart guy. How can you believe something so stupid? Or do you really think that about me? Do you really think that about people? I, I, I had some mockery. I had a lot of polite disinterest, like, no thanks, or even, the, hey, if it's good for you, cool, but not for me. I had a lot of that. I had a couple of guys like, oh, I'm a Christian too. So, like, oh, sweet. Hey, come to church with me. They're already following Jesus. And then I had two guys um, who responded with some real curiosity. They started going to church with me. I started going to our Celebrate Recovery program, um, getting some like, help and lifestyle changes. And then one of them dropped off. Um, and one of them, I mean, he started to become a better dad. He started to make some wise financial decisions. Uh, he got clean. Like, there was some cool stuff happening there. And I say, I don't know what happened with the rest of his story. But I do know that one or zero out of 20 is a horrible return on investment. And I don't regret a single conversation. Because what Jesus can do when one person truly meets him, that's worth a hundred missed conversations. What Jesus can do through a simple invitation, and that can change somebody's life, it can even change a community's life. So, here's the plot twist that we all saw coming. Invite somebody to Easter, all right? Invite somebody to Easter. Why Easter, right? Well, honestly, because it's something that's in people's minds, right? For some people, Good Friday is only a Good Friday because it's a Friday when they're off work, and that's good, and that's great. Okay, cool. And people are thinking about Easter. Maybe they grew up in church and they have a faith background. Maybe they're just seeing the memes that are going to come around this week. Either way, people are thinking about church a little bit more than normal. Hey, invite them to come to the Ridge for Easter, in person or online. To be honest with you, we work really hard, really intentionally, to create an environment where even what we say knows that people might be coming in without a background in faith, or they're coming in with baggage from past hurts from churches. 
right? We're going to do everything we can to create an environment where they are welcome to belong before they believe, and they have a chance to meet Jesus. Because we believe that the hope Jesus brings is worth doing whatever it takes that reaches our community for Christ. And sometimes we get to go to our community, and on days like Easter, they're a lot more likely to come here. Now, I'm going to do something that Karen Chapman, my mama, is going to hate. She's watching this. So if you're watching this, sorry, mom. I'm on my phone in church, on stage with people watching me. In the first service, um, I sent a text to my volleyball friends. Uh, I'm in a group chat with somewhere between 50 and 60 volleyball people from all around the world, different faith backgrounds, and we play volleyball together. So I don't want to ask you guys to do something I'm unwilling to do. So earlier in the first service, I said, hey, y'all, some of you may or may not know this, but I'm a Christian. Coming up next Sunday is Easter, and that's where my faith celebrates the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. I don't know everyone's faith background, but I'd love to have you as my guest at the Ridge next Sunday at 9.30 or 11. If you've ever been curious, you just want to celebrate a holiday with me, I would love to have you. Shoot me a message with any questions if you want to come. Have a great Sunday. And so I've already had multiple people in that chat saying, like, hey, thanks for sharing, or like, yeah, I'd love to. No, not I'd love to. Emojis that I think is positive and is yes. I'm not 100% sure, honestly. I don't know what God will do with that. Who knows? I don't know God, what God will do with your invites. Who knows? But it could be so worth it. So here's my specific ask for every single person in this room, regardless of what you believe. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're here because you love somebody who is. Or maybe you're here because you're just curious. For whatever reason, you're here, you're watching. I'm asking this of every single one of you. Would you host, serve, or sit for someone else this Easter? First, would you host someone? And the reason I'm saying host instead of invite is because when Bob invited me over to his house for dinner, it would be kind of weird if he's like, hey, do you want to come over to my house for dinner? Cool, yeah, food's in there. And then he went and he did something else, right? No, no, he hosted me. He walked with me. He sat with me. He talked with me. So would you host someone for Easter? Invite him to come with you and then sit with him and engage with them. If you can't, or if they say no, or for whatever reason that's not possible, would you serve for someone else? We are a church filled of contributors and not just consumers. Like Sunday mornings and really any day of the week would not happen without our volunteer teams making it possible. So if you already serve, thank you. And would you consider serving, even just this one time for Easter, to help make sure a guest, maybe it's someone else's guest, has an incredible experience? We're going to throw a QR code up. You can scan it. I'm going to assume you're scanning the code and you're not on TikTok. Um, only God can judge you, but he might. So scan the code. I'm kidding. That's probably a little aggressive. Um, I regret the words that just came out of my mouth. Cool. We would love to have you serve with us to create a great experience for somebody else or somebody else's guest. If you scan this code, you can hop in with my first impressions teams to hold doors, say hi, just make people feel welcome. If you've served in children's ministry before, um, Melanie would love the help. We're hoping to have a lot of guests this Easter, and we'd love to give them the best, most welcoming environment we can. So would you host somebody? Would you serve for somebody? Or would you sit for somebody? Maybe what you can do is you can say, I'm going to intentionally come on Saturday instead of Sunday so I can give my seat up on Sunday to someone who's coming for the first time. If that's you, awesome. That's a way that you can help us invite people to meet Jesus. Would you host? Would you serve? Or would you sit for somebody else's benefit so that we can give them the best opportunity to meet Jesus? 
See, this is something that we get to do together. One of my favorite things about being a part of a church is that in the high points in life, we're a team. In the low points in life, we're a team. Even when we're inviting people to meet Jesus, we're a team. We get to do this together. I'm doing this. My ask is that you'll do it as well. We've got a photo booth in the lobby you can use. Take a picture there. Throw it on social media. Throw it in a group chat. Call somebody. When you see them this week in the office, talk to them. Wherever you have influence, would you be willing to leverage it to give people a chance to meet Jesus? We don't have to do it alone. One of my friends is actually one of my volleyball teammates. She's in the group chat I was mentioning earlier. Her name is Lisa Starr. And this is a little bit of her story of inviting people to meet Jesus. Y'all check out the screens. Hi, my name is Lisa, and I've been attending The Ridge for about 10 years now. Um, I've invited many people over the years, uh, one of which was a guy I met through a motorcycling group, uh, my friend Brian, and he actually started attending The Ridge and um, actually got baptized here a couple of years ago, and it was really cool to be able to be a part of that process and to see him take his next steps with Jesus. I've invited a lot of friends from work and different other social aspects of life as well. And um, some come, some don't, some come back, and some don't. And, um, but I just keep inviting because that's something that I'm really passionate about. I love attending the Ridge because um, I know that people here are genuine. The music is great every week, and the church caters to the guest experience. So if you connect with music like I do, um, our band kills it every week, and I know that that's going to give you an experience that you can connect with. The messages are always great, and they seem to come right to where you are at any stage of your life, so it's always relevant. All of those things combined make it an easy experience to invite someone to, knowing that they're going to get something out of it every time. It can be intimidating to invite someone to church, and no one likes rejection, so no one wants to get told no, but what if they say yes? What if they do come, and what if you are the reason that they have launched into their next stage of their relationship with Jesus or that they get to experience church in a way that they've never experienced it before. A friend once told me that you might be the only glimpse of Jesus someone gets to see, so how cool would it be if that started with an invite? We pray with me. God, I pray this week that we might be challenged to host somebody, to host somebody where they're at in their lives, to host somebody next week here uh, for Easter, whatever that is, that we would build relationships where we can have those opportunities to host. Um, like Lisa said there, what if they say yes? Right? What if they say yes to that? What are you going to do with that? And we're so excited that, that you will do something with that, right? That that's you. And I thank you for having us here this morning. Uh, I pray that you challenge, uh, continue to challenge our hearts this week with whatever that next step is in our relationship with you. And it's your name I pray. Amen.